0: Father, you are our daily bread, and Father, we are lost without you, and yet, Lord, you drew us this day to feed us, Father, as uh, we who are called by your name ministers to a lost and dying world, and the awesome responsibility of that, and yet, Father, the overwhelming privilege. Father, may we, uh, may we hunger and thirst as King David in the 119th Psalm for you, for your word, for what you do on a moment-by-moment basis in our lives, that for reasons beyond our understanding, will only have eternal ramifications. Father, help us to hear the words of your book. Through the feebleness of me, Lord, may your spirit teach my brothers and my sisters. and Father, those who have not entered, Lord, may today be the day of their salvation. Father, of those who believe they are and yet are not yours, open their eyes to that reality they may walk in the glory and the majesty of this new covenant. In Christ's name, amen. Verse 6, chapter three, Second Corinthians. Who also made us adequate as servants of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. But if the ministry of death and letters engraved on stones came with glory so that the sons of Israel could not look intently at the face of Moses because the glory of his face fading as it was, how will the ministry of the Spirit fail to be even more with glory? For if the ministry of condemnation has glory, much more does the ministry of righteousness abound in glory. For indeed... What had glory in this case has no glory because of the glory that surpasses it. For if that which fades away was with glory, much more that which remains is in glory. Therefore, having such a hope, we use great boldness in our speech and are not like Moses, who used to put a veil over his face so the sons of Israel would not look intently at the end of what was fading away. But their minds were hardened. For until this very day, at the reading of the Old Covenant, the same veil remains, unlifted, because it is removed in Christ. But to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their heart. But whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. We all, with unveiled face, Behold, as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the spirit. A couple of readings of that. It just seems like a bunch of gobbledygook. I mean, it's almost this verse is what? And I don't know what that verse means and something about some glory. And then you got old and you got new. And how does this all work out? And yet I believe that this is one of the key things in the church, uh, in some cases that is lacking, and in some cases, nah, it's just lacking. I have seen it, I've been with brothers and sisters who embrace it, who understand it. And when you think about its context, it's really even more amazing, um, because he's already made the statement that, We have a ministry. If you're saved today, truly saved, you have a ministry. And you have a message in your ministry. Period. That's it. It's not complicated. We like to make it complicated. And I think it just feeds our egos. But what I have learned is that God keeps it simple. Because we are... You thought I was going to say it, didn't you? Sheep. (laughs) You thought I was going to say stupid, didn't you? (laughs) And yet, when I read through this, not that we are adequate of ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God, verse 5 says. Why? Because in chapter 2, He has already said that we are the sweet aroma of the knowledge of Him in every place. That means as you and I live our lives, we are the aroma of Christ to all the people who will cross our paths. The tragedy is we don't have a message. You know, and I've heard all the cute little sayings, but I don't think we really understand. You know, you've heard the one that the Christian church is like a river in the Arctic, frozen over at the mouth and all of those. But do we really understand what we're saying? we're saying we have the knowledge of Christ and I refuse to give it to you. Really? And yet that same aroma rises to God. Who's adequate for that? And yet one of the things that I have watched that has, that has happened in the body of Christ is that it is God who has made us adequate and we are servants of a new covenant. Okay, we are ministers of a new covenant. When I look at this church, the church in Corinth, this church was extraordinarily precious to the Apostle Paul. Had a very special place in his heart. He wrote them more than he did anybody. That's amazing. Because if you really look at it, if you read 1 Corinthians and you read 2 Corinthians, you think, what a bunch of knuckleheads. You know, I understand it's a church, but I'm just glad I'm in Ephesus. And yet, I go through this, and I have gone through these letters several times. When I look at 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 14 and 15, he says this, Here for this third time I am ready to come to you, and I will not be a burden to you. For I do not seek what is yours, but you for children are not responsible to save up for their parents, but the parents for the children. I will most gladly spend and be expended for your souls. If I love you more, am I to be loved less? You ever thought about that? Most people in the body of Christ today believe that it is the pastor's responsibility to be poured out for the people. Okay. Now, and I shared with you last week, you know what? I am your servant. Every single one of you, without qualification. But I will tell you this, you are not my master. Well, how do you do that? Christ is my master. All right. And, and we need to understand this. The apostle Paul's heart is wide open to these people. Totally exposed. And here's the tragedy. To those you are wide open to, to those you are totally exposed to as a minister of the new covenant, those are the ones who will hurt you the most. That's why it is apparent and it is obvious and it is necessary for the true minister of Christ to be a servant to the people but mastered by Christ. Not the people, not the people. In chapter eleven of this letter, we see the apostle Paul, but yet again, in verse twenty eight he says this, "Apart from such external things are my daily pressures that concern me of all the churches. Okay, that word daily pressure, okay marimna. In the original language, merimna. It means anxiety over the Christians. When I look at First Corinthians, I see dealing with personal sin. When I look at Second Corinthians, I see dealing with doctrinal defection. And if you're a minister of the Lord Jesus Christ, those are your two primary griefs. Personal sin and doctrinal defection. Things that will grieve a pastor's heart, grieve a minister's heart. And yet, it's still there. It's always there. I'll take you back. Remember, and, and one of the things that I hang my, my heart on comes out of chapter 2, and that's 14 through 17. Why? It is that great triumph it is that great victory that I already know that I have in Christ. And it's like that song, you know, I may not shoot the cannon, but I'm still in the Lord's army or whatever the song. I'm not really up on my songs, am I? But anyway, we're still in the victory parade. But the victory is who? It's Christ. He just gives you and I the privilege of being in it. And there's times when that's all you get to hang on to. I know some of you have labored over the souls of men and women and have been entrusted to your care only to see them defect and walk away. And it breaks your heart. And you get to the point where you get callous about it that I ain't doing that no more. I'm not going to expose my life, my heart, my soul to these people only to have them trample over it. I will argue this with you. At least you don't know the intents of their heart. Christ ministered knowing the intents and the thoughts of the heart and you should be thankful that you don't have that information. You better think about that because I'm going to tell you something. The reason that I stepped into this letter is because this is what you and I are about. This is ministry. And, it, and, and I watched the church corrupt itself thinking that I've got to get a bunch of people sitting in here so I can hire ministers. Ministers. And that is so foreign to Scripture because it says if you are a child of God, guess what? You're a minister. And you should have a passion over the sins of the people and doctrinal defection. Which means that you should already be in the book so you are sensitive to your sin, not causing others to stumble, but you will also be in the book so you can tell when somebody has walked off a cliff doctrinally. And they say, "Well, I just need to understand the Bible. I need to. I just don't like to read it that much." Then get saved. I do not understand how you can be a child of God and not have a passion for Scripture. That is impossible. That's like saying somebody loves me; they love me more than anything. They wrote me a bunch of love letters, but I don't want to read them. Really? That'd get you in trouble. Things that will grieve us. And yet we are still in the triumph. We're always fighting on these two fronts. Did you know that? Sins of the people. Listen, please understand sins of the people don't mean I run around and do this. Okay? You who are spiritual see any brother in any trespass, do what? Point it out to them. Make them feel like garbage. No. No. You come and bear their burden. You get up underneath and lift up this impressive load. You walk with them. Convicting work of the Holy Spirit is not your responsibility. It is his responsibility, and I've learned that he does it really well. Keeping the church pure in its lifestyle, keeping the church pure in its theology. Paul didn't want anyone corrupting the people's lives, and Paul didn't want anyone corrupting their minds. One thing he is about, that he says about an adequate minister to accomplish these things is that what is their message? See, I have people all over the place that tell me things they believe are sinful in my life. Okay. I've been told that it's sinful to have a beard. Fine. I, there's a whole bunch of churches in town that have beardless pastors. Oh, well. you know, I've been told I ride a motorcycle. Well, how can you ride a motorcycle? Because it's easier than pushing it. You know, I mean, I can be bitter about it. Well, if you guys would pay me more, I'd get me a Mercedes. (laughs) But right now I'll stick with the motorcycle. That is the adequate servant. And that's what we're looking at right here. He says, God has made us adequate servants of what? New covenant. You know, it's a tragedy. There's a lot of people who want to be ministers of Jesus Christ and they have no idea what the message is. God has made us adequate servants of a new covenant. Because the old is gone. We serve what? The new covenant. See, Judaism has nothing but sacrifices in it. Go look at it. Okay, Nothing but sacrifices in it. And you know what's amazing about it? When were they finished? When did Judaism say, I have got it done now? They used to have a bowl... That they would take the blood sacrifice in. And it didn't have a bottom on it. It just came to a point. You couldn't set it down. Whoever was the priest at the offering of that day, when his shift was up, he handed it to the next priest. Why? You can't set it down. Why? There is no finish to it. is never done and when I look at Catholicism when I will look at the Orthodoxy and a lot of stuff that is going on in the Protestant church today I see a parallel to Judaism they're not done why do they have mass day in and day out why do they have it because it's not done you keep going in and confessing. You come out and do your handful of hell Marys. You pray to Mary. And you hope that somebody forgives you. And you have this priest guy who says, and You're out of here. And then what happens? Tuesday comes. Dad gone, I'm right back in the same boat. You know what? I see that in Orthodoxy, whether it's Russian Orthodoxy or the Greek Orthodox, and I see it in the churches today when they say, well, I've got to have a small group for this, and I've got to have video for this, I've got to have music for this, and I've got to do this for this, and this is going to, and this is how you're going to get people. People are going to get saved through music. Really? Really? What song did Jesus sing? How about Peter? Who played the organ for Peter? Well, David's thing. he did well at saving people, didn't he? Absalom really got in. See what I'm trying to get at? We have completely steered back to what the Protestant Reformation said we need to be free from. It used to be called heresy. Authentic minister proclaims the new covenant. It's not rituals. It's not ceremonies. It's a message. It is spirit and truth. That's what's launching the Apostle Paul here. That's what he's saying here. God has made us adequate as servants of the new covenant. See, the glory of the new covenant. Why? Because the old has passed. That's the whole context to these next 18 verses. That's what he's talking about. See, the old covenant was religious ceremony. You know what we call it? Legalism. Legalism legalism it's ritual look at some of it you know women if a woman goes to church and she's not wearing a dress yeah i'm telling you really can you show me that biblical because my bible says jesus wore a dress i'm not going to i'll shave my beard first <laughs> maybe <laughs> i have been accused of being a legalistic I remember a guy one time told me, he says, Terry, you have made the Bible an idol. When he first said that, I was like, oh, heaven forbid. I don't want to be an idol guy. Then I thought about it. I thought, dude, you know all the things you've had as idols? (laughs) You've done all right. Then all of a sudden it dawned on me. In the beginning was the, and the word was with God and the word was God. That's a good idol. Finally, I got it right. And you know what? Now I wear this badge of honor. I'm an idolater. I idolize the Holy Scriptures. You know why? Worship is from the heart. Jesus told the woman at the well, there's coming a time, and the time is now, that men will worship in spirit and in truth. Go to so many evangelical churches today, and you will see their worship is all external. That is not spirit and in truth. The old covenant was external. It was not internal. okay? You guys now listen, I, I need to make sure because you say, well I don't go to mass no more. you know, and I quit my confession stuff a long time ago. really? You don't think you ain't been hemmed in by some of this? Let me ask you a question. Anybody heard of biblical counseling? Well, I thought Jeremiah says, I will make a new covenant with them and I, God, will write my word where? Upon their heart. And I will be their God and they will be my people. Excuse me, can you explain to me the necessity of biblical counseling if God's word has been written upon my heart? Well, I need biblical counseling. Perhaps you need to get saved. That's why my counseling business is so massive. (laughs) When I hear people say, well, what style of worship do you have? Living sacrifice, new covenant. What are you going to tell them? So many are in this external thing They don't know Christ. They don't know Christ. They have absolutely, and you can tell it because they have no assurance of their salvation. They're always sort of trying to, the next liver quiver thing. What can make the hair stand up on the back of my neck because then I know I'll be getting close to salvation. You know what? That's still external. Still external. Ceremony rituals. They are deadly, people. They're absolutely deadly. Paul says we must be servants of the new covenant. Okay? So what is the new covenant? Well, that's the New Testament. It's the smaller one. I'm in. I'm going to make sure we understand this. Let me give you the foundation for the new covenant. Okay? Foundation for the new covenant. Comes out of Matthew chapter 26. You can just look. You can look. write it down and look it up later. Verse 28 says this. For this is my blood of the Covenant, which is poured out for many, for the forgiveness of sin. That's its foundation. That's the Lord Jesus Christ speaking at the institution that we call the Lord's table. The new covenant is in whose blood? Please be key on that. It is not your blood. It is not your deeds. It is not your activities, it is not your abilities, it is not your ceremony, it is not your ritual, it is not your pattern. You know, I get up every morning and I read a proverb, I read a psalm, and I read an Old Testament, I read a New Testament, and I I get blessed every day. You know what you just did? You made a ritual. I remember when the prayer of Jabez came out. I was reading through it because, we anyway, I I was trying to figure out how do you write a book? off a of half a verse but anyway um, I was reading through it and all of a sudden I came to the text in the book it said hey God is obligated to hear your prayers if you do this I am not going to stand before a holy God and say dude you're obligated I am not that crazy I ain't doing it it ain't doing it whose blood is the covenant in? It's Christ's blood. Do you know why? Forgiveness of... Now, you've got to be careful with it because it's a funny word right there. It says sins. Plural. You know which ones those are, right? All of them. And whose blood? Christ's blood. See, the distinctiveness of the new covenant is it is a covenant that provides to the death of Christ What? The forgiveness of sins. Okay, under the old covenant, I find my prized bull and I cut it in half and take that bull in there. Whose sin gets forgiven? Nobody's. It's external. It was a picture. It was a symbol. Did it forgive your sins? No. Forgive the bull sins because he's dead. Now listen. Certainly the Corinthians knew this. Most certainly. They had the Lord's table. Who was their pastor? Paul. Paul was the foundation. Paul taught them they were saved by believing in the fulfillment of the new covenant. They celebrated the new covenant. Every time you take the Lord's table, you are celebrating the new covenant. They knew the new covenant. They understood the covenant in the blood of Christ Jesus. Sin would be permanently, forever forgiven by the act of Christ. That is why the sacrifice never needs to be repeated. How? How if they knew that? If they knew that the new covenant forever and always forgave sin was the complete provision for the forgiveness of sin, how did they go back? How did they go and believe the deception of rituals, sacramentalism, and ceremonies? How in the world did they do that? did they go back that it was external was the means of grace now then do you see why we need to see this you want to know something about the old covenant it's fascinating as wonderful as it was as glorious as it was all it did was point to the Savior that's it. It's just symbols. All the sacrifices, all of the washings, all the ceremonies, all the circumcisions is all symbolic. You know what I'm trying to get at? It's not real. How did you get saved under the old covenant? By faith. Huh? How do you get saved in the new covenant? By faith. Hi, oh, I see a pattern. You know what that means? All the doves and the pigeons and the washings and the rituals and the incense and the blood was what? Just a picture. Did it save you? No. Did it forgive you? No. You know what is amazing about it? You could take all of your livestock, slaughter every one of it. Would it fix your conscience? And yet, watch the church today. What is it trying to do? Fix the conscience. And yet, Jeremiah says, I will make a new covenant with them. I will write my word upon their hearts. Some of you remember Henry Piointech? He was a survivor of Bataan, of the Bataan Death March. And when he was marching to this prison camp, he wanted to remember... I need to memorize scripture because my Bible being in the tropics for one thing is going to fall apart. The other thing is once the Japanese get their hands on my Bible, it's gone anyway. So I will have to do something to, you know, to bring scripture back. And so he decides he memorized the book of Psalms. Okay. And to the day of his death, if you read a Psalm, he would tell you the chapter. Okay? And the reason he chose the book of Psalms was because the book of Psalms are praises to God. And I can't think of anything more honoring than to praise God even in the Japanese internment. Okay, And you know what's amazing about it? God wrote his word upon that man's heart. All the ceremonies, all the—they're not real, and yet they all pointed to reality. You can't make the shadow; you can't make the picture equal to the reality. Remember the movie that Mel Gibson came put out? I don't remember about Jesus getting beaten and crucified, whatever. I don't remember what it's called. But as a pastor, I got, I bet I got a wheelbarrow full of free tickets to that thing. And, it, and there's other movies I'd rather go see, like Crocodile Dundee or <laughs> probably, probably not a spiritualist. So, but anyway, um, but I got all these free tickets. So I, I got this group of, of kids that was in the church and they decided that we're going to take the pastor to go see this. And so we go see it. And when I'm walking out of there, right, you know, I see the movie, everybody's freaking out. You know, they're just, and I was like, it's Movie, still a movie, I'm, you know. It's, you know, frankly, my dear, that was a movie. <laughs> I, you know, it was a movie. So I go walking out, and there's all these people wanting you to make some prayer of confession to Christ, and I, and I, I didn't really feel that urge. Okay, and so they hand me this nail. Okay, so I'm looking at it. It's great, but it won't fit my nail gun or nothing. I'm just going to be useless to it. And they said, well, what we do is we keep that in our pocket, and whenever we're struggling, we rub that nail, and we know that Jesus... Listen, I don't need a nail in my pocket to know Jesus struggles for my sin. Okay, now if you need a a nail in your pocket, I got one. (laughs) They came with the movie. (laughs) Listen, you can't make a shadow, you can't make a picture equal to reality, or you have confused the reality. Please understand that. If you make the symbol, the means of salvation, you have hopelessly confused salvation. Paul knew that. You know why? Paul had come from the symbols. Paul had come from the pictures. Paul had come. He was circumcised on the eighth day. He was of the tribe of Benjamin, a Pharisee when it came to his theology. He knew the symbols. And he knew they were dangerous and condemning. That's why he was concerned. Surely the Corinthians knew this. They were surrounded by false religions that basically had nothing but pictures and symbols. Yet, isn't it amazing? He taught them that they had bought into a lie. And amazingly, if this church where Paul was the pastor and went from house to house teaching daily, they fell into it. What immunes us from falling into the symbols, from falling into the pictures, into the rituals? That's why I consider my job as a watchman. That's why I consider part of my job as a watchman to make sure we understand the new covenant because every single one of you is a minister of the new covenant. Okay, with that, go with me to the letter to the Hebrews, chapter 8. We're just going to step into this. (laughs) Hebrews chapter 8. We will pick it up at verse 6. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 6. I'm going to give you a lot of verses today. I'm not going to go turn to them. I'm going to let you write them down and you can do your homework, all of you who are still trying to catch up with a study through whether I can amen Psalm 119. You can just add this. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 6. But now he has obtained. Okay, he's speaking in this context of Christ, who is a better high priest. He's better than Aaron ever was. He's better than. Any of the Levitical high priests, right? That's what, that's what your context is. Verse six. He has obtained a more excellent ministry. See that right there? You are a minister. This person, Christ, has an excellent, more excellent ministry by as much as he also the what? Mediator of what? A better covenant. A more excellent ministry. Because he's the mediator of what? A better covenant. But he goes on. Which has been enacted on what? Better promises. So he has a contrast here. The other covenant had promises. The other covenant had Mediators, right? But the new covenant is a better covenant. How's come? How's come? One, it is a better mediator. The new covenant has a better mediator. The new covenant is in Christ's blood. That's better. It's a better mediator. Okay, what the heck is a mediator? A mediator is someone who stands between two parties and brings them together. He is the go-between. He is the negotiator. Anytime that there are disputes or conflicts, the mediator would get between the two that are in conflict or in a dispute and he would... Negotiate a settlement. In order to be a really good mediator, you'd have to equally represent both sides. Think about that for a second. To be a better To be a perfect mediator, you would have to say, I am not for this side or I am not for that side. And I will work this out. So both sides have equality in the negotiations. Okay. In the old covenant, the old covenant, there were some mediators. Write these verses down. Go check it out. Galatians chapter 3 verse 19. Exodus chapter 20 verse 19, Deuteronomy chapter 5 verse 5. Did I say that too fast? Galatians 3 19, Exodus 20 19, and Deuteronomy 5 5. Alright? You will see that in the Old Covenant, Moses was a mediator. Okay? He came between man and God. All right? You will also see in the Old Covenant, the prophets were mediators. They brought the word from God to man. All right? You will also see in the Old Covenant that the priests were mediators. And they would bring the needs of man to God. All right, So you see that. Moses, the prophets, and the priests all had mediator-type responsibilities. They're all mediators. But they had a major problem. Whether you were Moses, whether you were a prophet, or whether you were a priest, you did not And could not equally represent both sides. Moses was a man. He was not God. The prophets and the priests were men. They were not God. So, if you want the perfect mediator between man and God, the perfect mediator would have to be 100% one hundred percent man and one hundred percent God. Welcome to the new covenant. So says the apostle Paul, we have one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Moses, the prophets, and the priest were shadows. We're shadows. Try to picture what, you know, you go look at the old covenant and the whole time you're going to look at it. And you're going to try to figure out what is a true mediator would be like. What would be someone who could take the disputes between God and man and equally represent both sides? Okay, now Moses and the prophets and the priests were not false mediators. I want to make that abundant. They were real. They were real. There are some false religions that have false mediators. Judaism was not a false religion. It was an inadequate. Couldn't get there from here. In Judaism, these were real mediators. They were just ineffective. They were inadequate to be the aroma of Christ to mankind. They were shadows. They did not really and could not fully represent the person of God. It's impossible. But in the new covenant, we don't need any priests. You got that? Anytime you walk into a place and they say, This is our priest, head the exit door. I have but one priest. I have but one mediator between me and God. This is where you'll hear me say, there is an innumerable amount of ways to Christ. One to God. Islam can't do it. Judaism cannot do it. Confucius cannot do it. Hindus cannot do it. It is a narrow way. It is through Christ. Period. Non-negotiable. That is the new covenant. We do not need priests. We don't need any people to be the go-between us and God. I don't need saints. I don't need pastors. I don't need a pastor say, Hey, I'm going to talk to my pastor and see if he'll intercede on behalf of... No, you already got one. I see people today who will go to Mary. Maybe Mary can soften up her son. So he will bless me. Nope. You don't need a mediator. We have a mediator. Christ. We don't need to go and look for Him. He is in us. I don't have to go to a special place. You know, I have this rock. It's up in the mountains. We go up there. And anytime I'm there, I'm really close to Jesus. Well, where does He go? He hangs out at that rock? No! He's in you. We don't have to ask... Anyone to soften God up? See, that is why the writer of Hebrews says the new is better because it has a better mediator. Second thing I want you to look at there, he says it has better promises. It has better promises. You know what? The noetic covenant you guys celebrate it on a regular basis. You just don't remember it. Anytime you see a rainbow. That is God's sign, saying, "I promise, I will not judge the planet Earth by flooding again." Every time you see a rainbow, that's proof of that covenant. Okay, if you go look at all of them, where there's the Davidic covenant. Okay, the Davidic covenant was that Messiah would come through the line of David. Okay, uh, the Mosaic covenant—we've already been dealing with that. Anytime you see the slaughter of animals, the sacrifices, ceremonies, rituals, and all the rest of it—guess what? It's all been fulfilled in the person of Christ. Oh, did I tell you the Davidic covenant was fulfilled in the person of Christ? It's even weirder than that if you think about it. The two lines that came together, the Davidic lines that came together under Joseph and Mary. okay Mary was of the line of Solomon. Did you ever see the line that Joseph was? That was the cursed line of David. The two came together right there. So you know what happened to the Davidic line? It was cursed from that point on but it gave birth to Jesus. So it's fulfilled. So the Davidic covenant was fulfilled. The Mosaic covenant was fulfilled. The Noahic covenant was fulfilled. Do you see that? See, there were promises in the old covenants. All of them. They're all promised. But you know what? All covenants are based on a promise. When you think about covenant, I want you to think about last will and testament. When you fill out your last will and testament, guess what? You are making some promises. You know, it's, it's, it's kind of like I, I remember, you know, when I came into this world, I had very little and I have most of it now. Okay, so I'm going to leave that to my kids. So Give them something not to fight over. Right? When, when I, but when I look at that, I, I sit there and you say, at my death, at the spilling of my blood, or however that thing works, guess what? These are the promises. All right? Under the old covenant, there were promises. Even in the new covenant. But in the new, there's better promise. Okay? Here's the key promise. By one sacrifice of Christ Jesus, once and for all, He wipes out our sins forever. Pretty good promise. Ever seen Christians who carry around a bunch of guilt? I just don't understand. You know why? You don't understand the covenant. You're forgiven. Well, you don't understand what I did last night. Still forgiven. Well, what if I go tomorrow? Still forgiven. Hey, but that don't make sense. Well, you have no idea. There's a better promise. The complete once and for all forgiveness of your sins. Through the blood of one sacrifice, the Lord Jesus Christ. See the point. That's the writer of Hebrews and the Apostle Paul is trying to get to you and me today. All you need is the new covenant. Look at the Catholic Church and Mass and all that other stuff. What do they do? Over and over and over and over. You know, come in, tell them you're sorry. Before I got saved, many of you remember some of my lifestyle in the past. I used to run with this kid who was a Catholic, and 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 I make I used to bust on him all the time. I said, Dave, the only difference between you and me, you get up on early on Sunday morning, go tell everybody you're sorry. You're doing everything I'm doing. And I'm thinking that by Monday, you forgot you're sorry. Because you're just doing it again. But he could go back on Tuesday if he felt really bad about it. And say, I'm still sorry. You see what I'm trying to get at? And Ain't that what we do? I mean, if you really think about it, if you really want to be honest with Scripture, I mean, and religion and the attitude of man, Catholicism is perfect. Go do whatever you want. Just keep telling everybody you're sorry. When I look at people who are called priests or bishops or cardinals or sacrifices and incense and all the rest of it, I know that those are people who are honoring the old covenant. And what happens is when you try to mix the old and the new, all you do is confuse the Christian faith. It's funny, most Christians are walking around today believing that Allah and Jehovah are the same. You know, it's a tragedy. The Muslims don't think so. And yet, it's just a God thing. None, ain't. See... I can read this letter and I know that Paul did not encourage the Corinthians to uh, embrace external Judaism. I want you to look back in your text here. 8, verse 7. All right? The new covenant is better because it has a better mediator and has a better promise. But I want you to look at it here. Verse 7 says, "For Now, now look what he says here. For if that first covenant had been... Faultless. What does he say? There would be no occasion sought for a second one. If the first one, I mean, there's implications here. You know what the first you know what he's saying here? First one had some flaws. Okay. And there are seven things laid out here that contrasts the old one and the new one. And the new one is the better one. Seven flaws. Now everybody's going, oh my God, he's going through seven flaws next week. Love you. Father, we come before you knowing that we are ministers of a new covenant. That Father, we are saved and sealed under a new covenant. Father, I thank you that you have laid this before us. And Father, we have been neglectful. Father, forgive us as we press through this. May we understand the joy of our salvation and how it overwhelms us and how it is every part of us. And Father, that your word is written upon our hearts and we have no need of anything else. Father, we thank you for the first, for the first covenant. Thank you that it was symbolic. It was a shadow in it even with its faults. And yet, Father, you have poured from the heavens this new covenant. Jeremiah and Ezekiel both spoke of, and we are now your people, and you are now our God. In Christ's name, amen.